Good evening. Let's continue our worship by the reading of the word. The first reading tonight is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 42, about the chosen servant of the Lord. Let's give it a read. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry aloud or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching the islands will, be, will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of heavens who stretched them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, a light for the Gentiles. To open the eyes of the blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who will sit in darkness. I am the Lord, this is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before, the spring into, before they spring into being, I announce them to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Good evening. Our second reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 10, verses 34 through 43. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and of the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him for receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God.
It's a tradition that when we hear the words of the king, the Messiah speak, we stand, we give honor. Please rise for the gospel. Gospel pointer for today is from Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, let's pray. So, Father, I ask that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart may be acceptable in your sight. And Lord, we pray that um, it will bring us revelation and blessing to your people. And I do ask this so that uh, Jesus will be revealed and glorified amongst us. Amen. Recently, our cemetery, the Protestant cemetery in Jerusalem, was vandalized uh, earlier, or at least early last week. And um, I've had to spend a lot of time there. And uh, it was spending time there today that I had something of a revelation, which I don't know, quite a revelation, but um, something struck me, excuse me, about this passage walking amongst the desecrated graves there in the cemetery. And our Sunday, Yes, is a feast day. This is the feast day which celebrates the baptism of the Lord. And it is a feast day within a whole liturgical season. So the liturgical season of Epiphany. Epiphany begins on January the 6th when we celebrate or remember the Magi, whoever they were, coming from the East, coming to worship uh, the newborn king. It's God's revelation to the Gentiles. And the season continues, yes, for eight weeks until the beginning of Lent, 
and all during this time, we will focus on the ministry of Jesus in its earliest days as he begins to reveal himself to the Jewish people. And through the readings and the epistles, uh, we will read uh, about um, God's revelation, yes, through his son Jesus <clears throat> to the Gentiles. And there's a very interesting connection uh, between this day, yes, between the feast of the, uh, the, the baptism of the Lord and the last Sunday in this season, the season of Epiphany, and that is the voice, the voice of God. In our passage today, God's voice speaks and affirms and even commissions his son when he's at the depths of the Jordan River, somewhere in the Jordan Valley, or perhaps even in the area north of Tiberias, who knows? And the voice that we read about just before Lent is Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, where once again Jesus is being affirmed and he is being encouraged and he is being sent to Jerusalem. And uh, he goes to Jerusalem with great confidence after having that encounter with God on the Mount of Transfiguration. And that voice, in fact, the voice at the baptism and the, bo and the voice that speaks on the mountain is a voice not only for Jesus, but it's something I believe that's quite relevant for us. And in order to think about the voice for a moment, it's probably best to kind of put on one side all the questions that occur surrounding the baptism of Jesus. Not that they aren't important, uh, but I think they pale in importance to um, the work of God in the life of Jesus and the, what the, the Lord wants to do in us, yes, as seen, reflected, uh, revealed, right, in the baptism of Jesus. So the, the first would be, I think, to again put on the side is uh, our doctrine of baptism. Uh, we've been squabbling about this, at least in the Protestant world, for 500 years. Um, and so this isn't the place to tell you, you know, what Anglicans, for example, believe in baptism or why you should, should or should not baptize your children. Um, it's also good to put aside the question of where, because a lot of people want to know where Jesus was baptized. And that's a really easy one. We don't know. We don't know, okay? Um, John was an itinerant. He was marching up and down the Jordan River, maybe even the Yarmouk River. 
Uh, maybe he was found at other places as well. He was in the wilderness calling Israel out, yes, uh, into the wilderness to, to be baptized. How? That's a little easier. Yes. How, how was immersion? John the Baptist uh, was not in the water as many Protestant ministers are today trying to drown the new convert. <laughs> water in the lung, you know, it's always embarrassing when you have to call the emergency services after baptismals, after a baptism. Um, John the baptizer was actually the one who was calling people, yes, to be baptized. And John stood as a witness because in Jewish tradition, however we define John's baptism in Jewish tradition, um, you didn't get in the water, you didn't get in the water with someone who was going into a ritual immersion bath or was going to be baptized or immersed as a, as a proselyte. John witnessed the, uh, those who were repenting coming to living water and they would uh, simply immerse themselves. And by the way, where this is reflected in a very beautiful way is in the iconography of the Greek Orthodox Church and the Syrian Orthodox Church and the Armenian Orthodox Church because they actually preserve in their icons um, the reality of the Jewish practice of that time. John is always standing on the shore and Jesus is in the, uh, Jesus is in the water by himself and usually in the icon there's the spirit that's about to, to descend on Jesus. And then there's something a little more complicated and the complication is why? Why is Jesus baptized? And we can, I can tell you one thing for certain, he's not baptized for his sin. John, according to the New Testament, in numerous places, Jesus knows no sin. But yet, why is Jesus going out to be baptized? It's because John's repentance, John's sorry, message, yes, to the people of Israel uh, was not simply a message for individuals. It was a message for everyone. And there at the, uh, the repentance and the baptism was not simply for one as an individual, but it was for the nation itself. Uh, this is easily understandable, I think, when many of us want to pray for our nations and we will repent on behalf of our nation and cry out to God for mercy or humble ourselves on behalf of the nation in which we live. And as a sign of this repentance, yes, um, John is calling upon uh, those to, uh, who repent or to repent on behalf of the nation to purify themselves and to expect uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit. In any event, uh, and we've said this before recently, but it's worth saying again, John was not just, as we understand in many 
many Christian traditions. He wasn't just going around, knocking on doors, and giving people flyers and saying, you know, the Messiah is coming, and you can get 20% off next week, you know, at Amazon or something, right? It's not just a simple announcement, right? The importance of the message of John the Baptist uh, wasn't perhaps so much the baptism in the water. What was more important was the repentance, right? There can be no redemption. There can be no messianic age, no great visitation of God without repentance. It's very simple. If people aren't repentant, if they haven't humbled themselves, if their hearts aren't open, all the revival or visitation or miracles Yes, are not going to make the slightest dent. So repentance was the way to prepare one's heart or the heart of the, the heart of the nation to receive this great phenomenal thing that God that God was about to do. So I think when again talking about the feast, it's a great uh, the feast of, uh, not the feast, talking about the, the baptism of our Lord. This is a great place, a great place to start. And we have, of course, John being reluctant to baptize Jesus. Uh, and this, uh, this would take another, perhaps a sermon to, to, to talk about. But what, uh, what, what, no pun intended, what speaks to me uh, year after year when I read this passage, uh, what, what is full of, I think, possibility and potential uh, and even something of an invitation, you know, for each one of us. This isn't so much all these historical questions at this moment, but rather it's the following And it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, okay, and as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open. Mark's gospel, it tells us the same thing, that heaven was open. But in Mark's gospel, it tells us that the heavens were ripped open. Mark's very violent in some ways. And this... <laughs> This is a lot more gentle um, until we come to other passages in this gospel about judgment. But the heavens are open. And in the opening of the heavens comes a voice. Now, why a voice? All right. Again, this is a Jewish event. It's, again, it's not Christian baptism. In fact, we should be a little bit careful to try to compare John's baptism to what to what today we understand to be the sacrament of baptism. There's overlap, without doubt, but still they're not the same thing. And so, the, um, the voice um, comes after the heavens are open, and there needs to be a voice, because many Jewish people at this time, sense something missing. There's, some, there's, a, there's a, something gnawing, you might say, 
something eating away at people. And what is, what just seems somehow not right is where are the prophets? Where's the Isaiahs? Where's the Jeremiahs? Why doesn't the breastplate, breastplate of the high priest, the umim and the tumim, why doesn't it light up? And why is the temple in such a mess with all that corruption going on? Where is the Holy Spirit? Surely, not everyone, but many Jewish people have the sense that the Holy Spirit has been withdrawn from Israel because Israel's not worthy of the Spirit. And the Spirit will come back. This, but the Spirit will come back with who? With the redemption, with the Redeemer. And by the way, John's prophesies the same thing. And what is, what is the day of Pentecost? We think it, oh, we're empowered, we're, we have power for mission, etc. Well, that's true. But it is also an overwhelming, unmistakable, messianic sign to Israel that the Messiah has come and that the Holy Spirit has returned to the nation. In the meantime, because we're not quite sure why, right? Why we don't have the prophets and why we don't have the glory in the temple and why the high priesthood is, is somehow not functioning in the right way. How is God gonna speak to us? Well, he's gonna speak to us through the scripture, but sometimes, just sometimes, he will speak with an audible voice. He will speak with that audible voice. And that audible voice is called a batkol. Yeah, it's called a batkol, the daughter of a voice or the echo of a voice. And when it speaks significantly in scripture, especially when it seeks, when it testifies, it's the father who's gonna testify about the son. It's, it's kind of interesting. You don't get language like, hey guys down there, this is my groovy boy here. I want you, you know, to treat him right. You know, yeah, this is my kid, you know. You know, make sure he doesn't have a hard time. No, God is speaking. God speaks audibly, but he speaks with scripture, right? He's, it's the biblical text that's actually speaking. Now, we can analyze the biblical text, but there's actually just one part of it that really, I think, I hope, uh, is important enough for now just to, to and that is, it's the first couple of words. The voice says, this is my son. Now in, Mar in, Ma in Luke and Mark, the voice is directed to Jesus. All right? For example, in Luke's gospel, it says, you are my son. But in Matthew, it's this is my son. Meaning, God is presenting Yes, this, Jesus, he's presenting Jesus to the people of Israel and by extension to the nations of the world. This is my son 
And then the verse says, in whom I love. Here is a son, yes, and a few weeks ago we talked about the idea of sonship. It's not something in scriptural, it's quote unquote biological. It is biological. Yes, it's, it's, it's a relative. But it is also a son in scripture, someone who's a son of God, is someone who's faithful and obedient. And it's all through this gospel that Jesus will be tested, especially in his sonship. Yes, when he's at the most important critical places in his life, yeah, when he's being tested in the wilderness, the devil will come to him and say, if you are the son, oh, if, right? He's tested it. Or when he's at Caesarea Philippi, excuse me, the area of Caesarea Philippi, because Jesus never enters a pagan city, being a faithful Torah observant Jew. So when Jesus is in the area of Caesarea Philippi and Peter says, yes, you are the son of God. And Jesus says, okay, I must, I must go to Jerusalem and be crucified and be uh, raised from the dead. Remember, Peter says, oh, but Jesus, wait a minute. I love you and I have a beautiful plan for your life. <laughs> And it doesn't include anything like suffering or misery. We're on the winning team here, Jesus. You leave it to me, I'll be your manager. You'll be the first TikTok president, okay? Something. When Jesus is in the garden, Jesus is on the cross. People are saying, if you're the son of God, come down from there. Which he could have. Right? So Jesus is tested in his faithfulness and his obedience. Right? This is my son. Yes. And by the way, what's maybe just go back a few, uh, a meter or two. Yeah. This is my son. I don't know if you've ever um, thought about it. Um, but when God announces his son, yeah, you know, God's only a father if he has a child, right? How do we relate to God? We relate to God as father. But what makes him a father? Where his children will say, but actually he has a son. Not only does he have a son, Jesus says in John 17, 24, he said, the Father has loved me from before creation. So if you want to think about that for a moment, the primary identification of God is not that he's the creator, the big man in the sky making things happen, the guy who's controlling history, yeah, the guy who is whipping up storms or earthquakes, et cetera, et cetera. His first and primary identity as uncomfortable as this may make some of us, is that he's a father. That he is a father and that he has, been, he has loved the son eternally. You want to know what God was doing before creation? He was in a loving relationship with someone else, his son. Yes. And so 
this is when we think of sonship. We should, uh, we should um, consider all of this. And by the way, it points to the fact that the son, if you want to take John 17, 24, yes, that the son is, is uh, eternal. And then it says, right, naturally so. It says, this is, the, this is the one I love. This is the son I love. Well, later from John's gospel, we know that the father and the son have been in a, a love relationship. But if we didn't have John's gospel and we're only reading Matthew, and we were thinking in terms of thinking biblically, yeah, and we wanted to think about love, and we wanted to think about love in, in its biblical sense, right? This, the story here points to the first time that love is mentioned in the Bible. So it's always a nice trivia question to ask, when does that happen? Is it Adam loved Eve? Is it in the context of some sexual relationship? Is it in the context of, you know, the Song of Solomon? You know, or God loves Israel. Where is the first time love is mentioned? It's not, it, it's a kind of an odd context. So here we go. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, yeah, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. That's the first mention of love. Yes, it is in the context of a father and a son. Not surprisingly. And it's God who points it out and pronounces it. Yeah. And here, Abraham is about to, is facing this incredible test. Because, you know, God has already tested Abraham because he had Abraham give up his past. You think about it. You know, cut your roots with your family. Cut your roots with your religion. Cut your roots with your culture. And go to the place where I'm going to show you. And by the way, I'm going to give it. This is all going to be your land. Oh, but by the way, you'll really never inherit it. And so you can wander around the periphery of this country and be like a stranger. Well, that would be bad enough. But then God is saying, now you give up your future. You give up your future. You give up the very thing you love. And the point of all this, is it not, that love, yes, love involves sacrifice. And that love involves, yes, the ability to give up. Or perhaps without sacrifice, right? Surely there is no love. And the more that we sacrifice or give toward a cause, 
thing, or especially a person, ultimately, what does that do? It binds us, does it not, in a tighter way. What is, the, what is this event called in, uh, amongst the Jewish people? They don't call it the sacrifice of Isaac. They call it what? The Akidah, which means the binding. The binding of Isaac. But actually, what is being bound together, right? Father and son are being bound together because in, in Jewish tradition, in Jewish understanding or exegesis, Isaac's not a little 13-year-old boy. Isaac's 36. He knows what's happening. He's willing to trust his father and go along with all this. And by the way, for, for that alone, yes, God will bring great mercy and zahut, yes, benefit the people of Israel because, because of uh, his, Isaac's, yeah, willingness to trust God. And it's quite interesting to me that the very best, uh, the, ver the very best chronological or chronology that we, can, that we can make of the life of Jesus is that Jesus is born in 6 BC and he dies in 30. Okay. Makes him 36 years old. If you say, well, it says in the Bible 33 years. No, it says about 33 years. It doesn't give an exact date. So there's a, surely a, a lot of overlap. Yes, and the Isaac story, Isaac Abraham story, along with the, um, the Jesus, uh, and ultimately the, the crucifixion. If, you know, perhaps some people may not be convinced. Uh, let me bring one more just thing to say. A sacrifice in Hebrew is a korban, is it not? So I'm sitting with a bunch, a bunch of Hebrew students in this congregation now. It comes from the word karov. Karov means to be close. Right? What brings God and what, first of all, what brings people closer together? What brings a mother closer to a child, a father closer to a son, um, siblings closer to each other, right? When there's either giving or, or self-giving or some kind of sacrifice that's involved, yes, which becomes maybe the definition of love. When we do things, right, for, for the benefit of others, even when it costs us. And what binds us to God, right, the whole sacrificial system, and even in the death of Jesus, right, it is, um, that sa it is, it is the sacrifice, sacrifice, uh, one would bring a, sac uh, a sacrifice to the temple, a gift, something that was expensive, costly, worthwhile, right? And in the exchange of in the exchange of gifts, meaning God 
gave to Israel grace and mercy and provision, the worshiper then comes and does what? He brings something valuable to show, show one's appreciation. It's in that exchange of gifts that uh, a bond of intimacy is created. It is in the, it is the heart of the gospel. God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he sent, right, love equals sacrifice. He's going to send the son who he has been loving since eternity, right, to die and to be for our sins. Yes. And we say, yeah, there's no gift giving. It's all about grace. Yeah. There's no works and glow, you know, don't. Well, and it says, and those who believe on him have eternal life. Where is the gift giving in that? What does it mean to believe on him? It means to actively trust him. It means to take our lives, yes, and totally give them over to him. Actually, we're taking, what's the, we're taking our autonomous selves, what we think is the most precious thing that we have, our independence, our identity, whatever, and we're giving it back to God, right? Believing in John's gospel uh, has the sense of abiding, staying with, remaining connected to, right? In a relationship, in a relationship of obedience, right? So when God says, this is my son in whom I love, He's saying, okay, I've, I've known him from eternity. I love him. But at the same time, right, love demands some kind of sacrifice. Some kind of sacrifice. And the verse goes on to say, yes, in him I'm well pleased. And... What does all this, again, what does all this mean mean for us? Is that um, the Father has delighted in the Son. Um, The Son is beloved. The Son is beloved because he's willing to sacrifice. I don't know that um, you, you may be reminded of the scripture that um, in John chapter 10, the father loves me because I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, this brings kind of in another aspect, doesn't it? On one hand, the father loves the son. They've been in relationship. You can call them relatives. On the other hand, the father loves the son because the son is indeed a son. And he's willing to be obedient. He's willing to be faithful. And ultimately, he's willing to lay down his life for others. And I think that model is the the way I would hope that we would relate. um, We'd relate to, to God himself. First of all, that we would understand what it means to love because we do live in this narcissistic age. Um, 
maybe a rebellious age. The focus is on ourself and on our needs and what we get out of relationships with other people. Even when we're pious Christians, sometimes we can uh, have very, very mixed motives and mixed relation, mixed, um, uh, yeah, mixed re relationships with people. Yeah, and is it possible for us who are bent and self-centered and find it hard to be generous, right? Find it hard to give of ourselves or to give willingly of ourselves. Um, is it, can we change? Can we actually love in the way that God loves by giving his son or the way that Jesus loves by continually giving of himself, pouring himself out for us, not only on the cross, but sitting on the right hand of the Father and doing the same. And I think that um, the answer is yes, in that who, who's, who's present at the Jordan River? It's not just the Father speaking, but it's also the Spirit. And it's that same Spirit that poured out on Jesus that can transform us and change us and uh, cause us to become straight or to turn crooked lives into straight lives. And here I mean crooked uh, and in not necessarily a financial way, but a spiritual or sometimes uh, intellectual sense or to take, you know, our lack of faith or our anxiety, our insecurity and enable us to give and enable us to generously um, share ourselves or to, to uh, restrain ourselves for the, for the sake of someone else or to show love, generous, generous love for, for, for others. That's all possible uh, through the transformation of the spirit. And that's the, uh, in a sense, that's the life that, uh, that uh, we're offered it's the life that, that divine life that I think we see in a very beautiful way, you know, at, um, you know, at the, um, the, the Jordan River. And I think that's when we can hear God's voice say not just to Jesus, but also say to us, right? You know, you are my sons. You are my daughters, right? remembering that God, like Jesus, he, he knew us and loved us before the creation of the world. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, right? In him we were chosen in love before the creation of the world, right? And that Jesus died for us. And... At the same time, yeah, can we hear, right? Or can we love the Lord in such a way that we will be faithful and obedient as a son or a daughter should be? And that we can hear those words of approval and affirmation, well done, good and faithful servant. I know it's not a very popular or common concept in the Christian church today, but we are called upon to live lives that please the Lord. 
Yes, the concept has gone out the window. Whoever thinks about living, living a life that will please or honor the Lord, not many of us, we instead, most of us, think about, hey, give me this, give me that. And you know what? If I don't get this or that, I'm leaving this dull church and going to someplace else, right? Right? I want to flourish. I want to be popular and satisfied and have good health and eat well and have great relationships and, you know, right? No, that's not the goal. The goal is to please the Lord. And in the process, we know many blessings, right? But it, what, where we're called upon to either love the Lord or we're called upon to be godly or to, to imitate him, again, it, is, it will require sacrifice. It may require pain. It may require suffering. It will always require self-restraint and some discipline, but to hear the Lord say, you know, you are my son, you are my daughter, yes, and you I am well pleased, right? Uh, and hear a similar voice when we stand before him, well done, good and faithful servant. I think it's worth the sacrifice. It's worth what we may have to give up. It's worth what we, um, what sin, yes, not, especially those nice happy ones that we, we refuse to, uh, to necessarily deal with. Let's pray. Lord, we, um, we stand at the banks of the Jordan and we ask and pray that each one of us will hear your voice, that it will be a voice of affirmation. It will be a voice of encouragement. It will be a voice that uh, blesses us and ultimately gives us an identity. Lord, we pray that it's also the voice that will give us the mission and give us, lay out the task before us. But Lord, I ask that each one of us will have that sense that you'll speak to us either through an audible voice, but Lord, through scripture, Lord, that uh, we will truly know that we are your son or your daughters and that uh, the life that we're living is well-pleasing to you. And we do pray for this grace and mercy at this time in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.